Welcome to No Church Answers, the weekly Christian podcast for men. We're not pastors, just regular guys looking to model positive Christian leadership in our work, families, church, and communities. Want to discover ways to apply scripture effectively in everyday life? Tired of the pat answers in Sunday school? Then settle in for a gritty, authentic, and unexpectedly funny Christian podcast. And now, No Church Answers. Hey, and welcome to No Church Answers, a Christian roundtable discussion for men. This is podcast number 294, hard to believe, and we're glad you're here. And where is here? Here is Sugarland, Texas, so grab a globe, spin it around, bang, not sure where you ended up, spin it around, find Texas. Southeast side of Texas is Houston. Southwest side of Houston is Sugarland, and that is where we are. You know, we're not pastors, we're just regular guys, each on our own spiritual journey, Meeting daily challenges, just like you. And that's why we're here. We're having a Christian discussion for men. And unlike others, we aren't taking any church answers. So we're glad that you've joined us. You know, this podcast has been called Deliberately Provocative, Unexpectedly Funny. So we're so glad that you've checked it out. And we are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are on Facebook, YouTube, and at NoChurchAnswers.com. Please rate our podcast, leave a review, and of course, without your support and commitment, all this wouldn't be possible. I'm just going to do a quick introduction of the fellas. Um, we have some breaking news that we just want uh, you to be a part of, and so uh, the, the producer of the show is uh, Mr. Steve Titch. Our uh, kind of group historian is uh, Michael Cropper. My name is Bill Cox. I kind of work as the host. Um, our uh, corporate trainer uh, is Robert Koshu. We kind of consider him the oil and gas bureau chief, and we want to go to him. He's in Tulsa with a uh, report on location. Robert Koshu. Yeah, not Tulsa, Bill, but Winniewood, Oklahoma. Um, we've talked several times about me being a trainer. I am a corporate trainer for an oil and gas company. Um if you saw news on Feb on May 23rd, um, we actually had an incident at one of our refineries. I was actually at the refinery, not up here because of that, but because of some other stuff. And we actually had an incident, fire explosion, um, and two of our workers are severely injured and both are in the hospital currently because of that. Um and we brought this up because you know what we minister to men and we minister to what what we consider real men and men that have jobs and men that work to supply their living for their people and nobody works in oil and gas because they like oil and gas they work in oil and gas a because the money is good but b it provides them a way to really make a living for their family and the money is good because of what happened yesterday but it provides a way for them to supply, support their family and do what guys are supposed to be doing. And these are guys who showed up to work yesterday morning and by 820 were on helicopters being flown out to hospitals. And so we just want to mention it because you may have an affinity for this. You may think that everything is hunky-dory in your world, but there are jobs out there that people work that you can not come home from the next day and so our thoughts and prayers are of course with these guys i've been praying for them pretty heavily but you know just wanted to kind of touch on that real quick because real men work to support their families and work to provide the things their families need and these are two guys that were doing that and really just didn't and so you know these are the guys that are in your church that aren't talking about their feelings because they're out just doing what they need to do to take care of things so, Bill, thanks so much, Professor. And I'd like to just go ahead and uh, kind of add, add on to that as well. And like I've said many times on this podcast, Christianity is a crisis religion. You get help because of the Christian belief of that emergency response people and the personnel that is why they will go and risk their lives for the life 
of an absolute stranger, someone that they have no idea about. And that is a perfect example. Thanks so much for sharing with that. And with that, <clears throat> we have a great lesson. And I want to, in, uh, producer Steve Tish put together some uh, awesome show. I want to go to him real quick. Uh, Steve Titch. Oh, hi. Uh, yes, great. And and Robert, thanks for sharing that. Uh, and remember the, the the quiet guys, the guy the, that's 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 who we should try to connect with. Um, they're not the, the maybe the guys not most comfortable sharing in a Bible circle or even talking about what they do. But uh, like where we're, like you said, we're here. So our, so where men can both be awesome, but but talk about when they're hurting. Um, and I'm sure there's good. There's a lot of colleagues on, on that, uh, on that refinery who know these men and are probably very, very concerned and, and it's very, very much freaked out because it's an old, you know, literally that could have been them. Um, so remember that, uh, please in your prayers, I I'm going to go to, uh, we're going to, we're going to switch word. We're in, we're in a great state study of the life of an adventure, the life and adventures of Jacob, uh, limping with God, um, the Old Testament guide to messy discipleship by Chad Bird. And we're, we're taking a little sidetrack this week. Um, we're going to talk about an episode in that story concerning Jacob's daughter. We hear a lot about his sons. His sons are famous. His sons, all each of his sons, found a tribe for Israel. But this is the story of Dinah, and it kind of goes off on a tangent, so so will we. Uh, and it's a pretty gruesome story. So, uh, well, I'll, I'll leave it at that. If any other guys have something to, to talk about it before we read the scripture, which I know is a lengthy one. Guys? Michael Cropper. Yeah, um, there's been a lot of innocent people killed lately, last few years. All of this has been following. If you've listened to the news at all, some shootings have occurred at nightclubs. Many still occur on our highways every day in the daytime. Many people live in close proximity to each other. And when people live in close proximity to one another, there's going to be friction. Now, most notable are killings inside of churches where the victims are trying to worship their God. Even more noticeable are the killings of innocent school children. We especially remember the brutal slayings in the Uvalde Elementary School children last year. Bill and I talked about the insanity that's going on in these brutal slayings, especially in groups of people. And we talked about this in our Sunday school class. Why is this occurring? Is it because the persons are doing the shooting have access to guns and weapons? Or could it be an outgrowth from allowing our kids to play violent video games so that they get callous to the value of life and they do not understand the value of life that God has given to us? Anyway, today we're going to explore a massacre in Shechem. Steve alluded to that. Sichem is a city where Jacob has moved when he has come back from Haran. The victims will be all males, but not any girls or women. We're going to examine the details of the event, and we're going to talk about it. Bill? Excellent. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and get right into the first reading. This is Genesis 34, 1 through 20 and then 24 through 27, and then 29 through 31. Now Dinah, the daughter Leah had born to Jacob, went out to visit the women of the land. When Shechem, son of Hamor the Hivite, the ruler of that area, saw her, he took her and raped her. His heart was drawn to Dinah, daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. And Shechem said to his father, Hamor, get me this girl as my wife. When Jacob heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled, his sons were in the fields with his livestock, so he did nothing about it until they came home. Then Shechem's father Hamor went out to talk with Jacob. Meanwhile, Jacob's sons had come in from the fields as soon as they heard what had happened. They were shocked and furious because Shechem had done an outrageous thing in Israel by sleeping with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not be done. 
But Hamor said to them, My son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter. Please give her to him as his wife. Intermarry with us. Give us your daughters and take our daughters for yourselves. You can settle among us. The land is open to you. Live in it, trade in it, and acquire property in it. Then Shechem said to Dinah's father and brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and I will give you whatever you ask. Make the price for the bride and the gift I am to bring as great as you like, and I'll pay whatever you ask. Only give me the young woman as my wife. Because their sister Dinah had been defiled, Jacob's sons replied deceitfully as they spoke to Shechem and his father Hamor. They said to them, we can't do such a thing. We can't give our sister to a man who is not circumcised. That would be a disgrace to us. We will enter into an agreement with you on one condition only, that you become like us by circumcising all your males. Then we will give you our daughters and take your daughters for ourselves. We'll settle among you and become one people with you. But if you will not agree to be circumcised, we will take our sister and go. Their proposal seemed good to Hamor and his son Shechem. The young man who was the most honored of all his father's family lost no time in doing what they said because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. So Hamor and his son Shechem went to the gates of the city to speak to the men of their city. All of the men went out of the city gate, agreed with Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male in the city was circumcised. Three days later, while all of them were still in pain, two of Jacob's son, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brother, took their swords and attacked the unsuspecting city, killing every male. They put Hamor and his son Shechem to the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and left. The sons of Jacob came upon the dead bodies and looted the city where their sister had been defiled. They carried off all their wealth and all their women and children, taking as plunder everything in the houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me obnoxious to the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the people living in this land. We are few in numbers, and if they join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. But they replied, should we have treated our sister like a prostitute? Professor. So this is one of those stories you stop and scratch your head about. Because, so first I'm going to say the apple does not fall far from the tree. Because you notice Simeon and Levi, what was their dad really good at? He was really good at deception. You know, stole the birthright. You know, got 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 it handed to him a little bit by Laban. You know, but I may argue he won in the end on that one because he got all the wives. And the concubines at the end of the day. But now his sons go and pull a little deception themselves. And and what I find interesting is they're doing it out of honor for their sister. You know, they're like, they wanted to just go kill the guys. And, you know, honestly, maybe it would have been more fun to just kill them up front. But they, in essence, since they were small and few between, they they set the guys up. <laughs> By having a remember, there's no anesthetic and no uh, other advisories. Well, they to, have alcohol. Yeah, they, they about out other than alcohol. The dull, yes, the pain. They probably they didn't help them either. Yeah, I was gonna say didn't help <laughs> on the back end walk, for sure. Um, you know, and so they go through this, and now they're 
you know, they're um, while they're in pain is how it's referred to. They're all killed, and the brothers run off with all the girls, and the and the and the loot, which I find interesting. Right. I think the I think the uh, brothers were basically opportunists. They were just gonna they used the uh, the fact that uh, the sister was raped. Um, as an excuse and then and, and they were you know and that was a nice little plan and and they slaughtered them but you think about it you find out somebody that that's deceitful fool you once shame on them fool you twice shame on you um and that's the way these people are going to be dealt with um because you got to think about it this way if you just look at it and just boil this story down Shechem was a landowner he welcomed Jacob in there. He actually even sold him some land. So he was being neighborly to begin with. And okay, uh, his uh, his son obviously was not a good boy. But back in the day, I mean, I find it hard to believe that that, that wasn't done as a bit of a um, custom or whatever. But he offered him, I mean... He offered to merge. I mean, you, you're going to go from being uh, someone who purchased land, essentially someone who, uh, well, not really necessarily a tenant farmer because obviously he bought the land, but he still isn't the majority landowner. And the majority landowner offers to merge families. I mean, dude, to me, that looks like a heck of a deal. I mean, and 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 then his boys, they they just wanted to go slaughter somebody. That's what I think. It, so, I think. Oh, yeah. It sounds ahead, like it go sounds ahead. like like Hamer knew it was a pretty bad situation and was really doing his best to defuse it. Um, and. <laughs> Uh, and and you know and and usually i mean the custom was you had to bring the dowry to the family that was that you were giving your daughter to and now he's he's essentially you know you could look at it a couple of ways he's essentially giving them a dowry to to take her and if if you know it's it's an odd story because there's a rape there's and 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 we see that happen, and it does create problems. And Shechem, though, unlike un, unlike uh, I guess Timor or in that 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 situation, Timor and uh, Dinah isn't going to get thrown away. She's being offered, you know. And I don't know if behind the scenes Hamer says, you know, Hamer held the shotgun here, or so to speak, or the sword, and said, "We're, we're going to have to fix this, whether you like it or not." Um, right. And. And and then then comes the big question the the honor this is an honor culture the 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 son the brothers the brothers in this case and we're told that these are probably Leah's sons and Dinah is Leah's daughter so they're the natural sons they're not the half brothers born of Rachel or, or the concubines so they're going to go and they've decided they're going to take revenge and but they it's 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 they, you know, it's what gives them the right to take revenge other than Dinah was a piece of property that was essentially defiled. Um, actually, actually, yeah. I, I have a theory on why they felt they were because Leah was not the favored mother and or the favored uh, wife. Mm -hmm. And so the boys figured that they would step in and be her guardian because maybe Jacob wasn't, maybe he just didn't really care about her, you know? And so maybe that could be part of the overreaction. They're been overprotective anyway, but I, I think they were just opportunistic scumbags. Well, there, there's a, te yeah, there's yeah. some textual evidence. I'll let you, Mike, that, yeah. that Jacob was rather sanguine about the whole thing. You know, uh, he wasn't, yeah. he didn't, he didn't fly into a rage, but go ahead, Mike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, a couple things. Let me look at a couple of these people while we're talking here and bring bring it into context. Who is Donna? Donna goes out to visit her fellow teenagers. Now, now, Matthew Henry thinks she's going out to scout the landscape. 
He thinks he thinks she's uh she snuck out of the house because you didn't let I wouldn't let my daughter go out into the neighborhood where I didn't know the people. Period. I wouldn't let a three-year-old, four-year-old. I'm I'm guessing Don is around 12 years old, maybe 13 years old, and she's just getting wild hair. And uh, Matthew Henry says she went out to see the girls and probably the boys too. And I'm wondering if she didn't meet Cheatham when he came with his father to negotiate the land price and, and even want to go out and see him. But she has no idea what she's getting into because she's in a, a family, a closed family that's very protective of each other. Okay? So no one chaperones Donna. She goes out. She's very young. And, and this is a pagan city. So any girl, like you said, Bill, wondering about is fair game for males. And that's a possible understanding of how they treated each other back then. So you don't run, let your daughter right. run around. And he says, he says, specifically, Sheetham and Hamer say to Jacob and the boys, which are boiling angry now, give your daughters to us. It's not whether the daughters want to do it or not. It's <laughs> it's whether or not you want to sell your daughters to us. So they're still property, just like you guys have mm -hmm. talked about. They are property and their feelings do not count. However, there's money involved. So now the second thing, who is Shechem? Shechem was a prince of the country, Genesis 34.2. He was the son of the chieftain, Hamer, that you guys have talked about, and obviously of significant status and wealth. And he was a chieftain. His dad, was, Hamer, was a chieftain of the Hevites. Hamer's children sold the land to Jacob, not Hamer. If you read the exact text, it says his children owned the land and they sold the land to Jacob. So that's why I'm wondering if, in fact, it's not a possibility that Dinah did not see Shechem early on in the negotiations. And he, he when he raped and kidnapped Dinah, he, he offered to pay any amount, like you guys have said, and uh, and he probably saw her in advance. But my 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 question here then is is yes, yeah. And why does Jacob respond so gingerly, and not not respond with anger? I would have responded with anger. But we saw this same situation later on, guys, with King David and Amnon and Tamar, where David did not respond to Amnon raping beautiful Tamar, who happened to be the brother of Absalom. And what happens when you don't discipline? Right, guys? Absalom. But this wasn't, but this wasn't Jacob's son that did the raping, though. And right. and the thing is that Jacob, now, now the, what, what seems to cause well, that, the is Jacob makes the deal. Jacob goes for the deal, apparently. Okay. Um, and the the sons play along. Jake, once again, just like, just kind of like with 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 um, Rebecca, his mother, who kind of mm -hmm. coaches him through the whole stealing of the blessing. The sons, it's it's not clear that the sons don't seem to tell Jacob about this plan. Jacob seems to be negotiating, thinking this is all going to happen, and the, the the boys bring up, "Oh, that's all you have to go get circumcised." Now Jacob sits there, and that's that's his passivity seems to be the problem. Yeah. Now I'm gonna I'm, let me get, let me go back a bit because you pulled Matt, Matt, Matthew Henry out and remind our our listeners that Matthew Henry, a great commentary he did. He's also a man of the 19th century, and as is a lot of cases, and, and I did want to talk about this. Uh, with these Old Testament stories of massive violence and retribution, um, Christian commentators with good hearts look for some reason to justify it. And Matthew Henry gets awful close blending into this. Well, there, there goes, there goes uh, Dinah out and she shouldn't have gone out. And you're kind of trying to blame her. I, I, I'm sorry. Matthew Henry comes close to saying to blaming the rape on Dinah and therefore, but that makes, that makes what the sons do. It justifies it better. I would say looking at more from today's viewpoint, God does not approve this. We don't, we don't see God involved at all. These seem to be a decision made, but the troublesome is, is that see, still no real retribution happens to the family of Jacob slash Israel at this point. They're still the chosen people. Each of these sons, well, there, there is some, there is some fallout later, but these sons still are all going to be 
uh, tri leaders and founders of tribes 400 more years down the road when after the exodus. So that's that this is this is something we should talk about a little because this is why I wanted to do this thing. No, violence in the violence in the Old Testament. And and we start you started out well, Mike, with the idea um that and, and you know, like I said, some non-believers tend to look at the story and say, Oh, I could never believe in a God who who allows this to happen. Um, not just the retribution, but they slaughter the whole all the men of the city, which, you know, had nothing, they had, you know, little to do with this and then take everything. And we also have instances, this is a mild, this is a mild case. We have the old instances where the God actually orders the genocide. So, so let, let's do no church answers and look at this because as I said, non-believers like to point to it and challenge Christians and Christians tend when they get to a story like this. Well, let's go on to 36 where Joseph gets sold. Um, <laughs> well, I, I think what he should, should have done was taken, he should have taken Hamer and Shazam captive and kidnapped him and held them for ransom. Until a double. <laughs> you, okay. want, you want to know church answer? Okay. That's what he should have done, not killed everybody. He should have okay. done something. Something yeah. instead of just come, right, come. Let, let it go. But anyway, go ahead, Bill. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, okay. The thing about it is, is that I, I think uh, a lot of people, they get hung up in the weeds. They get hung up in the fact that the uh, circumstances around things, whether it was a rape or whether it was, she was asked for it or whatever. The, what this really represents, so the, the crux of the story is this, changing of the bloodline. And from a farm point of view, the easiest way to change a bloodline is to get a new bull. Otherwise, you'd have to get 20 cows if you were going to change a bloodline, okay? Or you could just get one <laughs> bull. You think about that. Each time that they have this kind of purification, it's kill them all. It's purifying a bloodline i'd like to hear professor he'll probably say i'm wrong but that's just my opinion no you're you're right about that i mean i i found it interesting that jacob tended to drop and bump the boys into responsibility for this it's kind of the the thing because i'm thinking you know because we get the right but then we also get the well, he was enamored of her, and and you're like Steve. It may have been the proverbial sword, sword to the neck, saying you're going to marry this girl now. <laughs> kind Start of deal. Done. And and yeah. and Jacob would have been, hey, I get another son-in-law that I can share the inheritance with that works everything. But but going back to Steve's original question, the, the thing that kills me about this is, and and this occurs in so many places in today's society we want to try to read our modern sensibilities and morals yeah. and ethics into yeah. a story that was written at another time and and i guess the best example is in the old testament someone that did something wrong stoned him to death that that was kind of the answer for every crime throw him out of the camp stone him to death and everybody's like, well, why would they do that? That's cruel. I, you didn't have a jail. You're a nomad running around the country. <laughs> so you didn't have a way to put him in jail somewhere. So you dealt with something. And then it kind of goes back to the, in that instance, especially one bad apple ruins a bunch. Um, you, you have to remember there is no, there is no mosaic law where it's eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, they're, they're living really under God's covenant with Abraham that is nothing more than I am, you follow me and I am going to make you a great and blessed nation. That's really, and, 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 and he doesn't even say worship only me. He says worship me. And there, there is no formal worship, no formal legal setup for this at this point this is you know they're they're doing what the culture around them does now 
I'm going to give the added twist that made him get circumcised first. It had been simpler yeah. to kill them all. That 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 to yeah. me was the more cruel and unusual punishment about the whole thing is, oh, let's get right. circumcised and then we'll kill you. <laughs> right. And with that, we're going to go ahead and take our first break. This is No Church Answers. We'll be right back. Hey, pastors, pastors and church, church leaders. leaders. Are you looking to create an exciting program that will attract, engage, and inspire men in your congregation? Book a live Man Up Spiritual Oasis podcast for your next men's ministry event. Called authentic, gritty, and unexpectedly funny, Man Up has been delighting podcast listeners since 2017. We're not pastors, just regular guys willing to talk about scripture and how we can apply it to our personal faith journeys. Man Up is a refreshing alternative to predictable motivational speakers, offering your audience a chance to connect with everyday Christian men who don't settle for routine Sunday school answers. Interested in learning more? Visit man-upspiritualoasis.com or contact Bill Cox at liveshow at manupmedia.org. And now, back to the fellows of Man Up. And welcome back, everybody. This is No Church Answers. This is podcast number 294. Uh, the subtitle that uh, Steve put up, uh, Who's Honor? And I want to go uh, back to uh, Steve Titch real quick. That's uh, that's what I was alluding to being this, this you know, this time in the Middle East, it being an honor culture and women being property and an and offense, a, a rape of a woman was not so much a a crime of violence against the woman. It was a crime of dishonor against the family. And I think this story is steeped in it. The, the, the men, the, the brothers, they, that, you know, these, this seems to be all about defiling, you know, their anger over the defiling of Dinah, but they don't, they, they, they seem more bent on concocting this idea of, of revenge and as you said, as you said, Bill, it seems that that's that's all they want to do. Uh, and frankly, we see we see that today in today's Middle Eastern cultures. But that 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 idea of in 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 the Middle East, um, especially among and I don't it's true, especially among the in the Islamic faith. But but Hindu Hindu, unfortunately, has some similar ramifications that if a woman is raped that is uh that is she is the problem and she has cast dishonor on the family and so she's almost as much she's as considered as much to blame as the transgressor um so we're a little bit beyond that in the west but i think some of that some of that still remains in men, male culture. I think that's why the story resonates. You know, someone will say, oh, well, if they did this to my sister, I'm going out and doing it. Now, I want to bring this back to, because Mike, you started this out with the idea of, of violence, of, of violent retribution, and so many things we're seeing in the, in the uh, among, you know, at the root of some of this gun violence whether it's a mass killing or whether they know each other is this idea of either I felt threatened or I was angry or it was all this kind of selective anger. So I'm going to go out and do this. And, and, you know, we, we don't, again, we like the context cuts both ways, Robert, as we, as you well know. Um, so I don't want to get too literal in this, but right. I think it resonates in the idea that, you know, these could be easily today two guys who pick up their their AR four AR fifteens and just go on a rampage because they're really angry about this Something. and and so <laughs> yeah, so um and and yeah and yeah yes obviously you're right at this point there's no real law there's no real civil there's no courts um but it's still it's there's it, it's still not justice in that. In that an, a a peace offering was made, uh, and it involved the it involved the wiping out of a whole population, and mm -hmm. um, even at the end of the day, literally, Jacob isn't happy. Basically, he said, "You guys, we're we're not we're not the power brokers here. <laughs> You're going to turn this whole land against us by doing this." Uh, so. Uh, 
without me getting too tangential, I want to take it back to Mike's opening topics and talking about the idea of just responding to provocation with, with violence, large-scale violence. You open that door. Well, okay, well, there's no, no provocation when we're talking about the schools and the churches. There is no provocation. This is somebody's head it is. Mentally Ill. Are you yeah. talking about something in particular that's provocation? Because I, in the schools and the churches mm -hmm. that I brought up, they are 15s and everything. Mm -hmm. On the highways, there's provocation. But in the schools, and the churches, there's mm -hmm. no apparent problem. Well, there, there's there's the some, but uh, we can talk about that case in Cle in Cleveland, Texas, where the okay. guy's in his backyard popping off a few uh, few rounds. Yeah. <laughs> apparently, apparently, entertainment in Texas, and the neighbor, the next door neighbor, comes over and says, "You know, baby's trying to sleep. It's ten at night. Can he doesn't doesn't say." It just says stop shooting off your gun. Doesn't doesn't get political or anything. The guy feels, oh, you may be mad, and he goes and shoots the entire family. Yeah, yeah, um, no, I, and okay, that's okay, that's absolutely. you know anger. And and I'm so I'm not I I'm not going to give these guys credit for mental illness. I'm just going to credit. I'm going to I'm going to say these guys. You know, we see this right here in this story about anger. Um, yes. just turning to wholesale violence and, and that is, and we should be able to say as Christians, this is wrong. You know, this is not, you know, if anybody criticizes, well, what, what is going on here? And says, well, God doesn't say this is right. <laughs> what they're doing is plain wrong. Jacob, Jacob said he's yeah. weak. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. If Go ahead. it's wrong, it's always been wrong. It always will be wrong. Mm -hmm. There's really no way to totally protect yourself from it you can do uh security guard no no but no i'm not going to i'm saying we as christians and bible believers should not feel we have to defend this or somehow find some rationalization for it which i think oh okay i okay. think we i think some do and i and i i'm i'm turning the tables on this and saying it's okay to say hey what was done here was wrong. This was a sin. This was this was not this was not the this was not an example of Simeon and Levi and the sons of Jacob doing something virtuous or something righteous. Oh yeah, no. Yeah. These, these these boys are in the genealogy of Jesus at some <laughs> level, and either once removed or indirect descendant. And yeah, the, it, it fits my old story about. You know, look who all's in the genealogy of Jesus. Rahab the prostitute, Jacob the deceiver and liar, King David the man after God's own heart who murdered women and then slept with someone else's wife and killed her husband so he could keep him for herself. Solomon with thousands of wives that brought about mm -hmm. the downfall of the kingdom of Israel. You know, kings who literally sacrificed their own children. You know, the, the boys fit in that mold in my mind, that that they mm -hmm. were part of the group that that you kind of look at and go, really, guys? Really? <laughs> You're right. right. Well, I, you know what? I Real quick. Bill has a daughter. I have two daughters. And it would be easy for me to say, Robert, if your daughter were raped, why are you getting so mad about it when you want to go out and kill the person? But if it was my daughter... I'd say, I want to kill the guy. Oh. It's easy for me. It's easier for me to, and I'm not blaming you, Robert. I'm just using that. No, 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 no. So I, I have for friends. Me to, it's easy for me to play it down with the daughter of another person. Yep. Right? I, I, when it comes I have home, friends. When it comes I have friends home, that, it'd be different. Yeah, go Mike, ahead, go I have friends that grew up in the same town I did that I ran into later in life. And I was talking to the to the wife of this guy. And their daughter had an a a boyfriend that did not treat her correctly. Okay. Well, we and gotta... she and and he and I just looked at her and said, and he's still alive. That's really amazing. Because <laughs> <laughs> we all grew up with the same, we all grew up with the same thing. Bill, go ahead. I'm sorry. Excellent. All right. Second reading is Genesis 35, 1, 6 through 7, and 14 and 15. Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there. Build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. 
There he built an altar and he called the place El Bethel because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. Jacob called the place where God had talked with him Bethel. Steve. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say uh, the reason uh, obviously this is this is Jacob making good on the promise he he said he'd do when he had the dream with the stairway to heaven because that's where they go back to Bethel but I I I kind of after we had that rather emotional discussion, we're going to go turn, I, I think, a little academic and a little more fun uh, because the there are locations that Jacob visits and revisits that we as Bible readers then visit and revisit in other places of the Bible. Bethel is a big one. Uh, also, uh, Shechem. Uh, where this, where the scene of this rape and slaughter happened, ironically, uh, well, I, I, this is because I know it's it's one of Robert's favorite stories. This may be where Jacob dug the well that is seen in John four with with Jesus' discussion uh, with the with the Samaritan women. Now, this a lot of this happens in the area of the Holy Land, which becomes Samaria by the time Jesus appears on the scene. Uh, so. Uh, but Bethel has an interesting history. I, I, I won't be the only one. I'll, I'll see to you guys to talk a little about what happens there. But also, uh, but I, I'm not saying this off the top of my head. Uh, biblical archaeologists believe that Sechem either became Sikar, the city near Jacob's well. We never see Jacob dig his well in the Old Testament. We, we just hear that it's told from, it's a tradition handed down by the, the people in the Samaritan area. But that, that town that Samaritan woman was from may have indeed been the same scene of this slaughter, or if not, it was awfully close by. Uh, kind of like uh, Sugarland is to Houston. So, <laughs> so um Anyway, so I so yes, yeah, so so Bethel, Robert's our professor. So Bethel, why why do we why does that? What, well, what, what, we hear what, it here. I find I'm kind of like you, Steve. I find it interesting that these specific locations continue to show up time and time again in Scripture, and I think it's because remember, Scripture is not a history book, and it's not a philosophy story or philosophy text and it's not a how-to manual although it has aspects of all three or four of those in it it is a story of God's relationship to his people and his continuing trying to bring his people back to him and part of story if you know anything about story is location is important and revisiting locations becomes very important when you tell a story. And storytelling is one of those things that draws people and teaches people on how to do things and how to interact and how to interact with things. And I think that's one reason why these stories keep coming back up to the same locations is they're literally pointing to the same place. Like, like Star Wars keeps going back. To tattooing. To tattooing. Yeah, that one I have no answer for. I'm sorry. I just can't so I can't Jacob. figure out the fascination with desert planets George Lucas has. <laughs> we have Jacob. He he leaves Esau because Esau is gonna kill him if his if Isaac dies, and he goes up to Beersheba, from Beersheba to Hebron to Jerusalem to Bethel, which is what we're talking about, better known as Luz, right? L-U-Z. And then he goes to Shechem, and at Bethel is where he sees the ladder from heaven or the stairway from heaven, right? Coming down and God makes him a promise. He puts up a stone and says, I'll be back here, God. Uh, if you give me bread and water and uh, bring me back healthy, I'll come back here and worship you. So he goes to Shechem, then Damascus, then Haran, finds his family with Laban. And he returns from Haran. He goes to Damascus, travels back down to Eshrud along the Jordan River on the other side from where he went up. He goes south to Jabbok Ford and meets Esau. He then, after Esau leaves him, he crosses the Jordan, goes over to Sukkoth, and then to Shechem. 
Now, he's stuck at Cheatham. He's very happy to be there, right? We know that because he buys land there and he's putting down his roots and he's going to stay there. And we know if you make a promise to God, guys, and you don't keep it, he's going to get your attention one way or another. I just don't like the fact of what occurred there, the event where the boys killed the whole, all the men in the city. But God's going to get your attention one way or another. Now, we said, and Steve, you made the reference, I think, that, that God didn't say anything during this chapter whenever the boys killed the men and Shechem. He was silent. And, and I'm going to tell you, that's, that later comes up to be um, a, a type of law. And gosh, it slipped my mind. Anyway, he, God comes to him once the boys kill the men there and says, okay, get up and go to Bethel. You were supposed to be there anyway. <laughs> right? And he goes to Bethel and God appears to him and talks to him a lot more than he did the first time. He says, I'm going to make all my promises true. I'm going to keep you. I'm going to bless you and everything uh, as I said I would do before. So he calls it El Bethel instead of Bethel, right? Which uh, additional favor toward God. And and um, in Shechem, anyway, he goes south to Bethel. Then he goes later to Bethlehem, then Hebron and Beersheba. The fact is, is I wanted to bring that up because God comes to him and says, you, did, you weren't supposed to stop here and cheat him. You were supposed to go on. And a uh, couple other things here. If anybody wants to chime in for a second, I've got a couple of reasons why they're very important, Bethel. And, uh, uh, okay. See, Abraham built an altar to God originally when he left Cheatham in Bethel. Jacob came to Bethel. Jacob made an altar to God, and Jacob returned to Bethel. Now, Shechem actually is more more well known or famous in the Bible than Bethel is. Both both Shechem and Bethel were trade routes between the mountains, or the passes there to go east and west and north and south. They were between the mountains, and then we know that God made a promise to Abraham by the great tree in Morah at Shechem. So Abraham built an altar to him. And the Levitical tribe of the Kohathites received Shechem from Joshua later on. Also, Joseph's remains are buried there. The Israelites repeated their promise to follow Jehovah at Mount Ebal and Mount Gerasim, which is on either side of Shechem, I believe. Uh, Abimelech then, y'all, this is very interesting, guys. That's why in the in the uh, in the samaritan woman's story she points to one of those mountains and says we worship yes. god on that mountain right right no it, it's and, and in fact you pointed out some notes on this that um uh, the one of the kings that that took israel away from judah right he made that particular location the northern side of uh of benjamin he made that location for temple worship, Shechem became a major place of worship, and uh, that will hurt the the northern tribes later on. But anyway, Joshua also assembles the Israelites at Shechem for his farewell speech, and then Moses has died, and Joshua leads the Israelites to conquer the cities of Canaan. Now God comes back later. Now, as far as the the massacre in Shechem. It would have occurred later either, but it would have occurred 400 years later because he would have brought the uh, the uh, Israelites back in and give them the land of Canaan. That would 400 years people. earlier. Yeah, was. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, it's interesting thought, but I I, mm -hmm. I can't justify that and say God's doing this early. Okay, I, I don't I don't believe that at all. Anyway, but it's just worth. I mean, that's part of that's part of the the you can say even the joy or the fun of of studying the bible is yes. that 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 yes, these yes. there's significance in in everywhere and it was as we come down to the end of this particular podcast uh i want to bring a professor back in real quick um and, and and do you guys mind if we talk about a little bit about the crisis management uh that's going on there uh professor um i will share what i can and I was kind of joking with Steve, being in the position I'm in, I get to, uh, I get loads of information. So if I'm pausing to talk, and I don't mind pausing to talk, 
um, it is because I am processing exactly what I can say. So that being said, that's a man thing. Guys. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So. So in reality, um, anytime there's an incident like this, the first thing you do, I will honestly tell you my company cares for people because within five minutes, my boss broke a airplane rule and called me on a taxiway. She was on a taxiway and asked me two questions, well, three questions, but the first two in essence were, where are you at the plant and are you okay? You know, to find out where I was. And then of course, details. Um, but it, it it's really managing people. And we spent the day, we were with a new hire class. We instantly flushed the schedule and let the new hire class have some self-study time and wrote it off as a lost day because part of it is even though we're men and we don't we like to move on you they people still need to process time time to process things um we had a group who they have a responsibility to respond to incidents like this and these guys are in essence first responders for lack of a better term internal Mm -hmm. to our company and they responded perfectly and our uh safety the the guy in charge of that group today literally said, my team is badass <laughs> because they got a fire out themselves. And this is not the city of Houston fire department with all kinds of fancy schmancy equipment. They had it out in less than three hours. If I remember my timeline correctly. Well, well, so that's fairly amazing. They got the guys taken care of and transported in less than 15 minutes. Well, excellent. We appreciate uh, you yeah. being able to give the information. And, and, and that's what men need to uh, need to see. Well, you and, and Bill, one, if, you're if I could real quick, if, if you're a man, your job is to jump up and go. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, ca- I called the safety guys and said, hey, I'm the trainer. What can I do? Right. At this exact moment, what is my job to do that I can help you guys with? And that's what we're, that's what us as guys are called to do. And that's what leaders do in moments of crisis. You call up, you you go to the people in charge of handling that crisis and you ask them, what can I do to help the situation? Excellent. And with that, we're going to go ahead and we're coming down to the end of this particular podcast. I want to go around the room and get the, uh, the fellas. I mean, this is the first time we've done zoom in a while. I mean, it's, uh, I guess I haven't lost my touch. Anyway, start with uh, Michael Cropper. Get a takeaway yeah. from you. All right. I'm going to go back a little history on this with, with the guys. I, I found a couple interesting things here. Uh, again, we've referred to this, that in fact, the, uh, the situation between Jacob and his daughter, who was taken, raped, and kidnapped, he was offered a, a very sufficient dowry for her marriage to Chicum. The price of the dowry paid by the father of the groom to the father of the bride was called a mohar, and the term continues to be in the text of traditional ketubah today for Jewish weddings if they have the Jewish wedding contract. In Genesis, um, Shechem said to Donna's father and brothers, let me find favor in your eyes, and what you shall say to me, I will give you whatever you tell me. And uh so the, the mohar was not always paid in cash. As you guys know, uh, Jacob paid Laban in service or kinder service. And, but it was originally the purchase price of the bride, and it is therefore understandable why it was paid by the father of the groom to the father of the bride. In ancient days, marriage was not an agreement between individuals, but between two families. The newly married man usually did not found a home for himself. He occupied a nook in his father's house. So the family of the groom gained a member to their family, and the bride's family lost a valuable member who helped with all household tasks. It was reasonable, therefore, that the father of the groom should pay the father of the bride the equivalent of her value as a useful member of the family. Now, I'm going to stop right there and just make a couple more comments. Okay, it's like trading property. We have said this. Anyway, go back to you, Bill, Steve, whatever, guys. Uh, not a problem. Let's get a takeaway from you, Professor. I know we were just talking about the crisis, but what about yeah. 
take away from on this for the scripture i the lesson here really is i think it, it it's an aside story but i think it just fits into the overarching theme of we all limp with god levi you got to remember levi the brother that led this what does his clan become the priest class they are they're they the priestly class so you're literally looking at a group of people that were chosen to lead God's people in worship and his their founder, as it were, goes through a deceitful thing. So once again, God using what he's given. And and I just I'm I'm kind of like Steve and Mike. I'm really fascinated by the the recurrence of places and the stories and honestly how they build on each other. Mike pointed out Abraham builds an altar. Jacob sees a stairway. He he digs a well. This Shechem thing occurs near there. He builds another altar and pours a drink offering on it. It is revisited several times during David's story. And then finally we see Jesus in essence, reach out to the 10 lost tribes of Israel, the Samaritans, at this same location. And the recurrence of that, I think, really is telling God's story of redemption for his people. Bill? Excellent. Uh, take away from you, Steve Titch. Um, well, to kick this back to Chad Bird, the author, uh, who... Again, he, he tries. He tries to kind of um, find some rationale or some something of God's hand in this. Now we're going to sneak ahead a bit, um, but um, this there is some consequence here. Wait, we'll get to it later. I guess in a couple of weeks when we close out the book. But essentially, um, Jacob does not forget this, and so he does not quite give. Uh, Simeon and Levi the same blessing uh, later on in chapter 49 sneaking ahead he, Jacob says Simeon and Levi are brothers their swords are weapons of violence let me not enter their council let me not join their assembly for they have killed men in their anger yeah. um, in in that action he puts the bulk of a blessing however you could call it onto Judah uh, and and Chad Bird points this out. And Judah, of course, is the line to Jesus. Uh, and uh, it, the line to David as well, the line of kings. So it might be another case where we've, we've talked about in the past, Mike, that this may have been another audible that God calls. But nonetheless, as a result of this rather tragic and uh, unfortunate and, and really uh, sinful occurrence, uh, the, line, the line of Judah is given prominence and becomes the line from, from where both David and Jesus ultimately spring from. Steve, I, well, let me throw something out right mm -hmm. here. It's, it's pretty funny what you were alluding to. Mm -hmm. alluding to. Who becomes the ones who kill all the animals to offer to God for sacrifice? Levi. <laughs> oh, we always guarantee you for some, some bit of levity here. Well, there was slaughters in their bloodline. Mm -hmm. And with <laughs> for uh, tuning in, my name is Bill Cox, and on behalf of uh, Steve Titch, our producer, Michael Cropper, Robert Koshu. Our podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. so please rate it and leave a review. And if you have a question or comment, you go to our Facebook page or notechurchanswers.com and post it there. Really, thanks so much for uh, tuning in. We totally appreciate it. And if you're unable to attend a church, check out Sugarland Baptist Church streaming service. It's on Facebook, YouTube, sugarlandbaptist.org, and starts Sunday at 945. And when you are ready... We encourage each and every one of you to join a local Bible-based church by local so you'll go and participate and find a small group ABF, Adult Bible Fellowship, or Sunday School class where you can join in for small group discussions like this. And if there isn't one that is men only, start one. This 
is No Church Answers. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to No Church Answers, the weekly Christian podcast for men. Tell us what you think. Leave a comment or review. Want to know more about us? Then visit NoChurchAnswers.com and our Facebook page. Check out our video series on our YouTube channel. You can also become a patron of No Church Answers by visiting our Patreon page. No Church Answers is a production of Man Up Spiritual Oasis Media, which is solely responsible for its content. 